0: I'm going to share some things with you tonight on the, on the question, why? Just that question, why? You've never asked that question, have you? Why? Um, <clears throat> but it's going to be in the framework of some things uh, in our culture and our world. Uh, some of you may know that a lone gunman today uh, uh, attacked a group of congressmen on a baseball field in Alexandria, Virginia this morning. They were Republican congressmen. Um, They were practicing for a charity that's scheduled tomorrow at the Nationals uh, Stadium there in Washington, DC, that the Democrats in Congress get a baseball team together and the Republicans and It's just a fun time. And um, this particular man targeted the Republican baseball team as they was practicing early this morning, um, assaulted with a semi-automatic rifle, he fired 100 rounds of shot. Hit five people. Uh, one is in critical condition. It was uh, had a, a chest wound. Uh, one of the congressmen, the only congressman to hit uh, Steve Scalise, who is the majority whip, he was hit in the hip, and um, but his the only reason they had security there is that he's in house leadership and he's assigned two security details. Otherwise, there would have been no one to return fire. And both of his security details, a man and a woman were both hit by gunfire. Both of them had leg wounds, but they continued to protect uh, Scalise, even though he was down. And they, they actually um, took, the, took the shooter out who had a semi-automatic rifle, so that, that was truly heroic for them to do that. Um, but why do, why, did he, why do these things keep happening? Maybe there's a lot of people that's going to give different answers to that, um, and we'll hear more information on this as we go on. But I want to I offer some possibilities to you, no matter what people say uh, and what they're blaming violence and this sort of thing on, Um, But let me just give you a few points tonight to keep in mind when we're hearing reports. And see, I I think we need to protect ourselves from becoming bitter, one thing, and becoming complacent or getting used to this. We should never get used to this. No matter how often it happens in Europe, England, Belgium, Iraq, um, you know, if you just read a little bit about the plight of our brothers and sisters in northern Iraq and in places where they're persecuted by being believers in Turkey. Um, These things will keep us from getting calloused by hearing news or getting used to hearing people trying to kill someone. Um, I want to take you to John chapter 8, verse 44. Here's the first point I want to give you. Our world is in a mess because our world is in sin. Our world, there's always been violence. It's just calculated differently now. We're seeing things since 9-11. And even before 9-11, we lost 200-plus Marines in Lebanon back when Ronald Reagan was president through a terrorist bomb, a truck bomb that blew up entire Marine barracks. And they, we weren't even there under our flag. We were there under the United Nations peacekeeping flag. So, you know, we can, people can say, well, we're having this because of certain policies. But, uh, you know, one, one of the neat books that uh, I read was Jefferson and the, and the pirates that uh, were raiding our ships as Islamic terrorists back when Thomas Jefferson. So th- this sort of thing just didn't pop up in the 20th century, it, it's, or the 21st century, it's been around for a while. But evil people will do sinful things. It's, it's a simplistic uh, point, but it, it's the point that is behind all of this. It takes an evil person to do what was done today. It takes, an, it, it takes evil and a, a darkened soul to take these kind of acts out on innocent people. Remember what Jesus said to those around him in John 8:44. I think we need to remember this. He said, "You are of your father the devil." This is John 8:44. That's kind of strong words, right? He probably hurt their feelings when he said this. "You belong to your father the devil and you want to carry out your father's desires." Then what does he say is the basic desire of Satan? for he was a murderer from the very beginning. In other words, he had a disdain for life, human life, from the very start of human life. He was an adversary to Adam and Eve before Adam and Eve were ever introduced to him. He was their adversary, and he was after their life. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to truth, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him And when he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And if you think about the first murder and the description, the backdrop, that God speaks to Cain about, these are the words found in in Genesis 4-7. If you do what is right, talking to Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, in a vacuum of not doing what's right. He said, sin is crouching at your door. And its desire is to have you, but you must rule over it. You must resist that. So he's saying to Cain, in the absence of truth, in the absence of what's right, sin is lurking in your life. And it wasn't long after God told him that, he premeditated to take his brother out into the field away from everybody and and proceeded to kill him and to bury him and hide the body. And God had to come to him and confront him. He says, your brother's blood is talking to me from the ground. So the first murder was really because of sin crouching at the door of Cain's heart when he refused to accept what was right and sin entered you know, I, um, I don't know if you heard the report of a young lady who just graduated from Huffman High School in Birmingham, and they found her body and the body of a young man in the car. Um, they, her mother did not even know that she'd had a relationship with this young man, but undoubtedly it went sour, and he decided that he would kill her, and then he killed himself. Now, to me, it's just hard to fathom someone that can be that full of hate. That if they're despondent and they're suicidal, you know, do you think how I think? Well, if you don't want to live, you know, why why do you have to kill someone else if you don't want to live? Is that illogical or do you think that way? But someone who hates someone so much that they're willing to kill them as the last act before they kill themselves. And this is kind of like, has to be what, suicide bombers, they can't be motivated by any other thing but, but hate. Hate for whoever they want to kill. The terrorists in 9-11 were hate-filled men when they climbed into those airliners. And took their seat, they had a plan. They were gonna kill stewardesses and they were gonna kill the pilots and they were gonna take over planes as bombs. So their their hatred came to a level that was hard for us to fathom. And I really think we shouldn't forget about nine eleven. We can get so far away from it it's kinda we kinda lose those images and maybe we don't wanna remember, but I think, I think it's more dangerous to wipe it away as if it never happened. But they unleashed on our nation in, in September 11, not only murder, but they actually were, they blasphemed life. They, they took a view of life that matches what Jesus said to these people that was in front of him in John 8. They were actually children of Satan. If you take literally what he said, that you are of your father the devil, he is a murderer and he knew they wanted to kill him. They were plotting to kill him, and they, and they carried that plot out to the crucifixion. So these, these men were like children of Satan. They were, the, they were worse than infidels. I don't like to think of anyone going to hell. That's an awful thought. It's a tragic thought. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, the Bible says. But how can anyone... Have any hope of salvation when the last act they carry out is one of destruction and death. And I think also what happens to our country is we get a false sense of security. We've watched uh, England, right? The two horrible tragedies in England. We've watched what's happened in Iraq. We've watched what happened in Belgium, what's happened in France. You know, and not too far back, the bombing of the uh, or the shooting at the nightclub in Florida and the Boston Marathon bombing that took out a number of people. And, but when, when it doesn't happen here very often, I think we kind of look at that. That's over there. That's not here. And, does, and when it happens here, it wakes us up, doesn't it? Well, we ought to stay awake anyway, shouldn't we? Those who study World War II know that Pearl Harbor could have had a different narrative. Easily could have been avoided. If not avoided, a different outcome. Because the United States intelligence had intercepted information about that operation. And that notice not just arrived too late, it was not handled It was not handled properly. It was not handled as though Japan could do something like that. And those little dots on the radar, when people are like that, the men watching the radar saw all of those dots on the radar and just determined it must have been our planes because in their minds, Japan wouldn't do anything like that. Can you fathom what would have been different if there had been vigilance at those radar settings and if someone took seriously the interception of those messages? Mighty America was humbled by the Pearl Harbor attack and it was humbled by the 9-11 attacks. But what other reasons can we find in the catastrophic things that's happened? Let me give you these points. Can I say that part of of what's going on in our world is is relative to the church? Because we're the voice of light. We're the voice of hope. So just bear with me just for a moment. Number one is this. As a nation and as many in church settings, we've really sometimes turned a deaf ear to the word of the Lord. What is God saying to us? Those three phrases kind of jumped out to me. And and I guess part of my problem tonight, if if I can answer about it as a problem, is that I re-listened and re-watched Dick Brogdon's message, I Surrender. And, you know, it just messes me up about how we look at ministry and what God's calling is upon us and that we are, the, we are His voice. And the only thing that's going to change our world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and how much do we proclaim that? And I saw those words, Jesus I'm desperate for you. And Jesus, I'm hungry for you. And Jesus, I'm longing for you. And, and I, I listen to what Brogdon says about really longing for the Lord, longing for his return, longing for his return enough to ratchet up our participation in the proclamation of the gospel, loving him enough to say, I want to be part of the last days of what you do redemptively in our world. I want to be more involved in preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel. In Jeremiah 37, um, Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, the third son of Josiah, was reigning, and he'd already locked up, um, you know, on one occasion, Jeremiah, because Jeremiah, they didn't like what he was preaching. But in verse 2, it says that Zedekiah and his leaders, neither he nor his attendants nor the people of the land paid any attention to the words of the Lord that the Lord had spoken through Jeremiah the prophet. They turned a deaf ear to the word of the Lord and what the word of the Lord was saying to them as a nation. People had their own take on what, you know, Jeremiah, come on. You're discouraging everybody. You come out here and preaching and saying, you know, it's, it's God's will for Nebuchadnezzar to take over the city. That's not positive. We're not feeling the positive vibe here. And yet Jeremiah was telling him, this is the word of the Lord. This is the result of the judgment of God upon us as a nation. And you must hear the word of the Lord. He even warns Zedekiah, "You you have to surrender or it's going to be catastrophic for you. And it was catastrophic for him because when... He did try to escape from Jerusalem on horseback in the middle of the night. And they caught him with his sons, with his family. And Nebuchadnezzar had his sons killed in front of him and then ordered that Zedekiah's eyes were gouged out. And it would probably be more merciful if if he had killed Zedekiah, but he took him back as a blind man that the last images he saw. And, And I'm sure that somewhere in Zedekiah's mind he could hear The words of Jeremiah, do not fight this battle. And that wasn't the only problem in Jeremiah 37. Instead of hearing the word of the Lord, they went to a political answer. They contacted the Pharaoh of Egypt and asked if he would bring his army to be their defense. Instead of trusting the Lord for their defense, they put their trust in a former slave owner of the people. And the word that, Je- that Jeremiah says, that is not going to work. That army that's riding in on Egyptian horses, they're going to ride right back out. They're not going to keep you from being captured. You put your trust in the wrong thing. You put your trust in something that's not trustworthy instead of putting your trust in the Lord. There's also just a lack of faith, real faith, in them not being able to say God's word is what we need. You know, it's kind of like, what, where's our faith in America? I love our military. I got to be on a guided missile cruiser out of Mayport on a VIP visit. This is one of the most impressive things I've ever been a part of. Through, through a few connections, I got to go out and see their operations, see how the war room worked, and I was like, "Why, wow, I'm sure glad that these guys are on our side. But we can, we can get so sophisticated in our weaponry if we're not careful. We pray less and trust that more. We spend less time on our knees and more time reading about our intelligence gathering. And that's easy to do. It's really easy to start with the, the, the substantive things that we can see and hear and listen to and instead of just trusting in the God. Though we can't see him, we have to trust his word. Our soul as a nation is revealed in the day and times we live in. Who would have thought, who would have thought in our lifetime that traditional marriage would be wrecked by Supreme Court decision? And that the defense of the Marriage Act that was signed by Bill Clinton would be dismantled. And and that people could lose their businesses because they would not did not want to participate in a same-sex marriage. Who would have thought, there's something wrong with the soul of America. And this should, this, should, uh, this should not make us repelled from those things. It should make us dive into it by crying out to God and asking God to heal the soul. And I can tell you one thing, no matter what you see on television, anger is not an answer. And it could be real easy to become angry. When you see atrocities and in our first reaction, that's not, that's not right. And instead of taking that and saying, God, what can I do? What, where's the righteous cry of the church from the depths of our soul? And here's where I think two things have to come in, and one is repentance and confessions. Isn't it interesting? You can't find a flaw in Daniel's life, Right? Did you ever find anything that Daniel did that was wrong? Or Joseph? Well, I mean, kind of, you know, Joseph shouldn't have bragged about his dream, you know. Didn't sit well with his brothers. Yeah, y'all were bowing down to me in this dream. (laughs) That cost him. But Joseph was a man of integrity. But Daniel, Daniel is used as one of these. And when Daniel was praying to God, he did not say, Israel has sinned. Israel has turned away from you, Lord. No, you use first person plural. We have sinned. We have turned away from you, God. He didn't remove himself from the context of of the people of Israel. He felt like he was part of the problem because the people were the problem. And if we're not careful, we want to detach ourselves from the issues here. So I'm not like that. But we need to pray for America with we, not they. Lord, we need spiritual awakening. We need revival, not they need revival. We need revival. We need a move of the Holy Spirit. Church needs a a wake-up call. We've almost replaced the blood of Jesus with cute sayings and nice settings the best of videography as a substitute for the presence of God. And the presence of God is brought in by a love for him and identity with his death and resurrection. We were broken after 9-11. We were humbled, but for how long? We said, well, that was a wake-up call. Why should God intercept our tribulations when we shun his call to holiness. We put ourselves as a nation in peril because we need to emphasize the centrality of Jesus Christ. Just this week, I don't know if you saw this, or in the last 10 days or so, a deputy budget director by the name of Russell Vault was in front of a Senate panel for confirmation hearing. And he was grilled because of his Christian faith. Because he confessed Jesus Christ, he was declared that he's unacceptable to have any office in government because he felt that his Christian faith was the right faith. So he's disqualified in one senator's mind. Of being involved in government leadership, listen, religious liberty may be our legal structure, but it's not our moral structure. And as Chuck Colson told the lady totally challenged him one time in a meeting about his um, you know, isolationist top view of Christianity that, that this is the right way, he says, ma'am. Islam and Christianity can both be wrong but they both can't be right because they have different views of Jesus. So do we worship the same God as Islam purports? No. As Mormons? No. Jehovah witnesses? No. Because if you reject Jesus, he says, you're rejecting the Father. And if you confess Jesus, you're confessing the Father. And if you don't confess him, he won't confess us before the Father. So Jesus is the centerpiece of our faith. We don't have the same spiritual structure as Hindus, Buddhists, Shintoists, Sikhism, Jainism. You know, you just have to take a course in comparative religions. They're out there. Zoroastrianism. You just go down the list. Christianity is all about the person of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. We don't prayer, we don't pray to any other God but this God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the God we pray to. So we don't need to Just say a collective God bless America and expect for God to bless America. We've got to be part of him blessing America. Are you following me? Our voices and our activity, we need more than a moment of silence in school functions. It's kind of interesting when Ronald Reagan said something about school prayer, well, what was silent prayer? He said, we already have the right to remain silent. We don't need interfaith gatherings that just kind of dilute everybody's faith and make us all... You know, like we ought to coexist. You remember those little bumper stickers? It's hard to coexist when people are trying to kill you. Here's the, here's the bottom line. We just need Jesus. Andre Crouch was right. Jesus is the answer for all the world today. Now, I didn't tell you at the start of this, but through, through some activity this week, I found the notes from my message on the first Sunday after 9-11 that I was in the pulpit here. September the 23rd, 2001, our first Sunday back from Ecuador. And I wrote some notes down, and some of those notes was part of what I shared with you. 16 years, and some things haven't changed. Sixteen years, we're still facing the challenges as a church of the seriousness of the time we live in. We're 16 years closer to the return of Jesus. I love the way John Piper writes about fasting and the scripture you use. I think his book is A Hunger for God. And he said, when Jesus talked about his disciples not fasting while he was with them, but they would fast when he's not with them. That Piper says that's part of them longing to see him again. That fasting would be part of a longing for the Lord. And we look at fasting as a spiritual, some type of spiritual purification thing or, you know, power thing. Somebody tells you they fasted 21 days and they got this word from the Lord. But somebody comes up and says, they fasted 40 days, and they got uh, this word from the Lord. You know the 40-day fast trumps the 21-day fast. And the three-day fast, they're just, they, you know, they don't even listen to them. You know, they can't, they can't get a word from God after only three days of fasting. You got to go 21 days and do the Daniel thing, or 40 days and do the Moses thing. You see how, you see how we look at something as this gives us spiritual credentials? And the whole point of us having a longing for the Lord is a longing enough to do without something in order to get closer to Him. I think, I think we would embrace whatever God requires of us if it shows to us that it's part of us pursuing Him and longing to know Him and He know us and, and interact with Him. You know, I remember, and this was in my notes. 16 years ago, almost 16 years ago, that we were in Ecuador when, in, in uh, Joe Castleberry's house, missionary that was our contact in Quito. And our team was there sitting in his living room with his family watching the, the, the things that were going on. And there was a service at the National Cathedral. And Billy Graham was there and President Bush was there And three former presidents were there. And Billy Graham in 82. Billy Graham will turn 99 this November. He was born in the same year my dad was born, in 1918. And 16 years ago, he was there. And this is what he said. He said, America needs a spiritual renewal. Well, I think he hit the nail on the head. But are his words relevant today? America needs a spiritual renewal, and how, why do we know America needs a spiritual renewal? Anybody want to take a stab at the answer? We need a spiritual renewal. We need we need a, a powerful encounter with God that. Captures our soul, and and, and I'll tell you, I think one of the things that hurts us in witnessing is that we're just a little intimidated by it. If, if we're honest, we, we're uncomfortable talking to someone ab- about the Lord and, and weary of, leery of maybe their reaction. And what is the source of that? It's, it's, it's our flesh appearing weak to us or that we're not comfortable doing that So the spiritual renewal we need is to dispel that out of our souls and for God to give us confidence to talk to people. I still can't believe that I can talk to people. But I I know it's just the Holy Spirit that's taken this tongue tied kid that didn't want to say anything in front of anybody, that's only through the power of the Holy Spirit... I still walk away from things after meeting with. it's like, did I really just do that? Because it's not, norm, it's not my norm. And I think God wants to get us out of our norm into his norm. And his norm is that he has put a witness in your heart that people need to hear the gospel of Christ and what he has done. It doesn't matter if you're my man or something you meet or you're like a people person, you talk to anybody. But I really believe that's why we need a spiritual renewal, because God wants to release us. You know, one of the things Dick Progden said, is, and, and if you've never heard that message or watched that message, you just Google Dick Progden I surrender message. What summit was that? Caleb, were you, were you at that summit? I wasn't there. I think it was like 2004 or something like that. Was that far back? Yeah. Um, but it was, it was at the, the, the mission summit that college students go to. And it, it's, it's just a powerful call from a man who does ministry in Sudan and Egypt. You know, the, why would anybody, my son, I told my son about somebody going to Somalia as a missionary, and, and he knows Somali, and he says, why would anybody do that? It's because God calls them. He said, that's, that's a suicide. I says, no, it isn't. It's when God calls, we have to trust him for protection. But if you want to watch that, but I want us, um, uh, Brandon, if you can come back, and I want us to sing the, the second song we did, especially, i tell you how I sing songs. I sing songs different than the words up there. I have my own studio right here that I record songs different. But I'm saying, Lord, I'm desperate for you. Not just we. I'm, I'm desperate for you. I'm, I'm hungry for you. I want the substance of who you are. And I'm longing for you. I want to see the Lord come back. And I believe whenever that is, it's going to be partly due to the world here in the gospel. And that's where we come in, either doing it ourselves or or helping others to do it. Lord, I thank you tonight that we have an open heart to you and that we can express to you our love and our devotion to you and tell you, Lord, we love you enough because we want to be your instruments. What you did on the cross was for us and it was for our broken world. And so many don't know that. They've never heard that. That their brokenness was taken care of on the cross. Whether it's the Chi Alpha team halfway around the world from us or if it's our neighbor right next to us or the person that's across the office area from our workplace. Lord, we are called by you to go to our world and share who you are so that you can come back for your church. Those who are meant to be in have come in. And then it's finished. Help us to be part of that last harvest of souls, Lord. Would you stand with me and just sing this as a personal consecration to the Lord.